podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, are you ready to go to the heart of America's America's pastime, college football? Are you ready to venture to the the mecca of our fair sport? Uh, they do have Chick Fil A's in New York, so I think it does count. You're really killing my cynicism here. I mean, it's not worth it because I, you know, even. A couple months ago, there was a line outside of Chick-fil-A there, and that's ridiculous, but uh, especially in a town that has Shake Shacks. So, Here's what I want everyone to do right up front. We're, I haven't even gotten to the show intro. We're going to be doing – I'm going to have my listeners task, as we say, in the, in the parlance of the new podcasting world. Uh, our managing editor is Brian Floyd. I want you to at Brian Floyd. It's at Brian M. Floyd. He doesn't check Twitter a lot, but when he does, I just wanted to hit him like a wave. Uh, Brian is from the great state of Washington and is from uh, basically like the Seattle suburbs. Went to school at the Palouse at Wazoo. So Brian knows real America. Brian knows Brian knows uh, good, God-fearing flyover country. It doesn't really get more obscure in terms of trying to find a part of the United States that is fairly inaccessible and often not thought of and maybe mistooken for Canada. Uh, than than the eastern Washington Idaho area from which he from where he got his degree. Um, so I want everyone to at Brian what the lo- what the ideal location for a college football summit is. So what happens is that SB Nation, I think they do it with every sport. I've been to the NFL summit. Um, they bring everyone involved in a particular sport together, basically at the at the valley of their off season to plan for the next year. And if you're thinking that it's crazy early for us to be doing that, well, we have these things called advertisers, and we have these things called like video producers and other entities involved in the operation that need a long lead time to establish things. So we're going to New York because Vox Media has a fancy office up there. How do you? What's your level of excitement on New York? You were there for the Piesman Week, right? I'm just fine with New York. I always kind of enjoy leaving New York, but staying a couple days, I have no problem staying a couple days in New York. I bet Floyd, I can't remember what the bet was, that if it was um, lower than 50 degrees, he owed me something. But I can't remember what. I don't know. I probably shouldn't that speak That makes it to a really it. good bet. I know, it's, and it's, 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 it's bad podcast. It's bad radio. Um, I shouldn't say too much. One, he is one of my bosses. And two, I bum cigarettes from him copiously when we're around each other. It's like one of the 12 days a year I smoke cigarettes. Um, we're going to go to New York City. We're going to figure out what the hell is going to happen in 2017 in college football. Um, it's always weird for you because you've already started. You're sort of in front of everyone on this. Um, college football never really ends for me because it's sort of what I'm tasked to cover. Um, this is the natural segment or natural transition point for me to get into Ole Miss. We will get into Ole Miss in a second. Um, but instead, I, I kind of want to dwell on – I don't want to make another, another stupid um, time capsule. Not yet, at least. We'll trot off that that cliched segment maybe in like August, but it, I feel like if if the college football seasons have like moods or feelings of excitement or foreboding, I haven't figured out what I think twenty seventeen is going to be yet. It feels like very much like a blank slate. Well, do we ever know in advance though? You know, well, I think I, certain I mean, I, things. I think certain things carry over, right? We talked about it last was it last week's show or two shows ago about how you know the Heisman in particular has always become really hard to prognosticate mainly because breakout performances are so so confined to individual seasons now, which I like. 
Um, but so too, I think, are the teams, and then also like the overarching themes. Um, also, let, let me ask you this: before we put sixteen to bed, which we sort of officially do for for at least at our shop, we sort of put sixteen to bed this week. Was it a good year? And I know you love the sport. I love the sport. And every year's a good year. And it's like bad pizza is still pizza, right? But was it a good year? Um, it wasn't a standout year. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, I mean, we had plenty of good games. I think, you know, although when I was putting that top 100 list together, I think we mentioned it at the time. Like, it kind of needed a good bowl season to plump up that top games list. Um, but... <sighs> I mean, and, and in the last couple of weeks, I think we've we've proven that it was a sneaky good bowl season. On the on like the on the mid tier, I think a lot of people missed those games. Yeah, that's their fault. No, what I'm saying is, no, it was. I mean, in that regard, the bowl season was pretty strong. Some of the particular partner bowls on New Year's Day were a little weak, but when you judge it, if you don't if you don't grade it um, on a curve in terms of importance or magnitude of the bowl, and you just look at the forty some odd games. Um, each with you know represented equally, I feel like it was a pretty good season. You got better football on average than you did bad football. Yeah, that's probably yeah. It was it was at least a, an above average bowl season. I think it was it was uh, a lot of solid work in there. I, I do like the the national title race was. I mean, there was tension. Uh, you know, obviously we didn't know for sure about the about Washington, Penn State, and all that, and obviously. Um, you know, the, like we had Ohio State, Michigan. That was a nice elimination game, right? But uh, I, it probably wasn't quite as strong in terms of that horse race. It probably wasn't quite as strong. Although on the flip side of that, that means I wasn't quite as exhausted from being yelled at um, come early December. Like that 2014 season was incredible in about 38 different ways, and I hated football by the like the second week of December. Um, so you know, the reaction that you received. Oh yeah, I mean that was I got yelled at more that season I think than I ever have because um, not that my numbers actually mattered, but people were definitely tracking them. Uh, you know Baylor, the whole Ohio State Baylor TCU kerfuffle, yeah. especially. Um, I got yelled at a lot, and uh, and that went from man this is awesome to oh god just let's just end this let's make a damn decision. I enjoy uh, the years where I get yelled at a lot. I think that's. There's apparently a tipping point because that does mean that there's a lot going on, Mm -hmm. but at some point it just fatigue sets in and, and it stops being quite as fun. So, um, but I mean, no, I mean that 2014 season is a good example that, that had a lot more plot twists, uh, than 2016 did. And I think part of that was because at the end of the season, three of the best teams were probably USC, Penn state and Oklahoma, who obviously Penn state almost got back into the title race. But they had basically all been eliminated from the title race by uh, like mid October, and uh, in Oklahoma's case, mid September, and so you had this thing where okay, well they're the best, but they're not really involved. The and there were basically four to five teams involved in the playoff race seriously, and whereas a few years ago four to five would have been pretty awesome when you're fighting for two spots, mm-hmm. um, it was you know just not quite not maybe not quite as intriguing as uh, 2014 was, and maybe 2015 too. So but that's fine. Um, you know the the two best teams played each other, and and we had a little uh, a little bit of a mini upset, and and you know nothing wrong with that. Because Alabama has lost the national championship now, um, and because we're coming off of a rematch in the national championship, both of those things make me feel like it's time to turn a page. That doesn't mean that Alabama is no longer involved in the national title picture. Be we so fortuitous? Um, 
It's just that I expect something to change at the top level of college football. Um, not really a reestablishing of order, but I feel like that maybe it's every so often of the 60-ish real contending programs in college football's history, we kind of shuffle some characters in, shuffle some characters out. Um, maybe it's time for that. I This is nothing, obviously, we can control. But as we sit down and look at the 17th season, it'll be a really interesting podcast next week, um, just because we will have sort of picked everything apart that we can. And we don't really... We don't really prognosticate at all at SB Nation in terms of like this. These are who you know we think these X, Y, and Z teams are going to do this, or or these are our favorite players for this award. It's just more kind of like strains and themes. And right now, seventeen feels like a blanker slate than maybe any other year. Um, and I'm not. I, I, I'm I'm a little confused as to why I feel that way. Well, I mean, number one is Clemson does lose a lot of of names. They're they're obviously still going to be good, but I don't think you're going to see anybody picking them to to you know top two or three at least. Yeah. And so, anytime the national champion, anytime the impression is that the champion is going to step backwards, then that's that's unique in and of itself. I, obviously, Alabama's going nowhere, but um, I, I mean, I, and again, I think the other thing is too is it's funny that these names represent new blood, but. After these last couple of years, who were the teams that everybody was talking about at the end of the year? USC, Penn State, uh, maybe Oklahoma. So, I mean, th- those aren't new teams, but they weren't involved last year at least. And so yeah. maybe that does involve kind of like the tide kind of, you know, uh, you know, I, don't, I guess turning. I was looking for a better analogy than that. But, um, oh, Bill and Bam Talk Radio Birmingham on you there. Um, I mean, I, you know, that doesn't really, that's not really much of a tide turning because hey, USC might be good. That's, that's crazy. That's never happened. But, uh, there's not a, like a Washington in there. There's not a team that hasn't been, uh, elite for a while who looks like they could right. be there. Okay. So this was a somewhat meandering opening topic and I only put it out there because sometimes it's okay to acknowledge, um, that we know what we don't know. And as we go along, I feel like we get to start from scratch on this season and oh, it's kind of exciting. It's nice to have more questions than answers, at least when you've been doing this for a while. And I know, I know in my case, it's nice to be curious about things. Um, so let's get the show read out of the ray, and then I will pick apart my alma mater as the corpse smolders. Uh, this is podcast ain't played nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot Bill Connolly, the inventor of the S&P Plus analytics system, the proprietor of S&B Nation's football study hall and author of the forthcoming book, 50 greatest, bestest in the world college football teams of all time. Bill, where can we find it? Uh, right now you can still pre-order on, on Amazon, or I've been giving a lot, well, not giving a lot away. I've been um, doing a lot on Twitter, uh, you know, randomly popping up with, hey, next 10 people get a book for $25 autograph, yada, yada. Um, so pre- next Tuesday it will officially be available uh, on Amazon.com. And as far as I know, I, I, I don't know when I'm going to know more, but as far as I know, it'll be in bookstores too. Um, so you've got options there. Nice. All right. My name's Stephen Godfrey. Um, I am now the official Ole Miss B reporter for uh, Vox Media, I should say. We have, we, have a, um, we have a basketball reporter like Paul Flannery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've in the past we've had gentlemen like Rob Nyer as a major league baseball reporter, but now SNBNation.com has an old Miss reporter, and that's it. I'm really excited. Uh, Bill, got to figure out how to talk about this. So a couple of weeks ago, you said all you ask of your old of your alma mater 
mm-hmm. uh, is that it not embarrass you? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I like, I, I mean, I'm, Ole Miss is not my alma mater, but I can't decide like what I think about this. Cause it's still no surprise in here. Um, you, we, you know, with just about anybody, if they keep digging, they're going to find stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do think the revelations of last week, like right after we recorded, um, crystallized just how sloppy Ole Miss was, uh, in the way they went about tr- attempting to procure talent mm-hmm. and keep that talent, uh, relatively well satisfied, mm-hmm. uh, and on the scale of one to 10, 10 being, uh, I did not go to Ole Miss. I don't know what you're talking about. Where, where did you fall, uh, last Thursday, Friday on the embarrassment scale? Hmm. Um, when I said that all I want from my alma mater is not to embarrass me, um, this may not fall anywhere in the purview of that evaluation. When I was at Ole Miss, um, being a Southerner, but not being a Mississippian and then being a displaced Southerner for most of my life, because I, I spent a long time in DC and my family moved around a lot. Um, I was very much an alien to the culture there. Um, and so this was a time in which the, the mascot was removed from the field. The Colonel rebel debate had started various state flag debates, which are still continuing to this day. So we would have, you know, these visual event. I don't know if they're like, legally defined as hate crimes but you would have graffiti or nooses or things like that that generally is where i would fall and please don't embarrass me because that would undercut the culture and the association with the university both on like an individual and a group level that was just debilitating and damning even um especially as a very white male heterosexual you know christian man out in the world it was the association was pretty brutal um paying players i i, I think i've well established where, where i'm at in that world um this so so none this of this where, this is what i expected the answer to be i just wanted yeah. to make sure yeah no well, i had a lot of listeners from the show kind of hit me up as soon as all this broke about hey are you embarrassed I, no i'm not um i'm not surprised either um so we, we're entering a gray area and uh, this is one of the great and also kind of confusing and unwritten things at SB Nation. Um, I'm there's a line in a movie, I think it was a George Clooney movie about where he's like, you got everybody, all these cops thinking you're a lawyer, all these lawyers thinking you're a cop. Amongst journalism people, I'm considered to be a blogger. Amongst bloggers, I'm considered to be a journalist. Um, we are going to be covering this, I, I would say, much in the way that a journalist would in the coming weeks. We, we already have. I, I filed a piece on Wednesday night uh, outlining sort of the, the circumstances and the future and all this. So it's, it's an ongoing thing. But I also don't want to do the typical kind of hacky journalism thing of saying, well, I can't really talk about it. It's a story in progress. It is a story very much in progress for me. What, and what I mean by story in progress is not that – we don't know everything yet. I can't comment. It's that I am working on something specific to this um, topic that I don't have. We don't have ready to go yet. Um, we're still working it. Um, that being said, though, I, I I feel like that's always been a kind of a, a cop out for for writers and journalists or content, whatever the hell we are anymore. I don't know. Um, so I'm going to try and talk about this, kind of proffer opinion when when. I feel it to be okay, but then also kind of keep arms linked on maybe some, some hot takes because I'm in the process of talking to the people who are involved in this. Um, it's kind of weird. So this is a bit of a role reversal for the show. If there is a question that you have or a question that you think people have, I can probably answer that. 
better than me just sort of sitting here riffing about what I know and what I don't know right now and what I can't talk about. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, I mean, my only take on it is, is it was sloppy and, um, and you know, they, I, I, that, that's it. That's it. They, uh, you know, this was not a revelatory, um, it did beg the question if they paid thirteen or fifteen thousand dollars or whatever to a uh, to a recruit who went elsewhere. Who else uh, paid that recruit, <laughs> uh, and how much did they pay them? Yes. But, no, um, okay, really. so we can start there. Um, that uh, garnered a lot of interest in our newsroom, and like a lot of people online talked about it. Uh, not really uncommon at all. No, um, not uncommon at all. The dollar amount is high relative to a kid that you know that you're not going to get. Um, what's very, very common, especially in in-state battles, is for the dollar figure to raise up uh, in, in the bidding process before signing day on in-state kids as they, you know, a lot of it is just sort of a scorched earth policy, like the Russians. Um, you know, if, if I can't have this land, you can't have this land. Sometimes that involves throwing good money after bad. I think in the instance of the, of the student-athlete that's involved, um, See, I'm already having to figure out my pronouns and my names. Um, what we want to talk about today. Uh, it, it didn't shock me. I was aware of that, and uh, a lot of people were aware of that, both on the investigation side and the school side. Um, it happens more often than not. The number's a little high, though, the, the twelve dollars to $13,000 figure. Usually those are assurances given for future payment, not necessarily actual cash up front. But, um, you know, the, if... The Cam Newton story is, is still so famous because he made so much money, um, you know, from schools like Mississippi State uh, before he had ever actually signed with anybody. Um, that process, Newton kind of created, um, let's not call it legislation in this culture, but a uh, revision of process and that a lot of uh, bagmen tended to shy away from that unless they were absolutely sure that the individual or the family or whoever they were contacting, that they were going to get the result that they wanted. So I wasn't as shocked to see that number for a recruit that failed to sign. I know that it was like a really big headline. We played it up. And I get that. I get from the outside why it's, why it's that interesting. Um, sloppiness. Not shocked. Um, <laughs> uh, the key to any good conspiracy is to have a, a small overhead and not a lot of people involved, right? Loose lips sink ships and all that stuff. The backfire on that is is that in a culture like Mississippi, you don't have as many human beings, period, as you would in pretty much anywhere else in the United States. A lot of the graduates of the school, a lot of the people that are involved, they leave. They don't go and they don't go to places like Jackson. In Tupelo or even Memphis, Tennessee, um, which is just, if you don't know, is about 65 miles as the crow flies from Oxford. Um, what you're left with is a shortage of people who um, can be professional about doing things like this. And so oftentimes uh, it, the culture becomes really, really small overnight and mistakes get made. Um, egos are stroked. And people want recognition for things, um, even if they're illegal, (laughs) or not illegal in the criminal sense here, but uh, could get them in a lot of trouble, which it has. Uh, So again, not shocked at all about sort of the sloppiness that was involved. Um, Again, the pregnant pauses are only as I try and kind of parse out what I'm going to talk about right now and what will eventually all come out. Um... Uh, a lot of people look at the 
2013 signing class uh, that Ole Miss has as sort of a bot kind of um, purchased item. I would strongly advise against believing that wholesale. Um, I'm not saying that their their compensation didn't occur. What I'm saying is like uh, a lot of it, I think people would be surprised a lot of it was just ingenuity and and a different recruiting philosophy on Hugh Freeze's part. Um, but as we get, see, this is, this is really tough actually, Bill. We, we don't have to edit any of this out. I just have to be super, super diplomatic in how I talk about these things. Um, well, let's, let, let me ask you this. Let's, let's, let's spin this around here. So, yeah. um, Hugh Freeze's first year in 2012, they go seven and six, 2013, they signed the big class. Yeah. Uh, they go eight and five. When those guys are sophomores, they go nine and four. They are briefly the best team in the country. Yeah. Uh, Laquan Treadwell breaks his leg. They fall apart at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. 2015, when those guys are juniors, uh, they go 10 and three. They finished in the top 10 for the first time since 1969. Yeah, 1969. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, I watched uh, on Saturday. Wife and kid were out of town. I, I ended up just setting up a, a YouTube queue of stuff to watch while I was knocking out like Athlon stuff and a bunch of work uh, in mm-hmm. prep for this w- week of travel. Mm-hmm. I watched the 1970 Cotton Bowl between Ole Miss and Arkansas. That was a lot of fun. Anyway, because the whole thing is on on YouTube with commercials. By the way, the commercials really? are fantastic. Right now I'm interested. Yeah, there are a bunch of bunch of cigarette commercials. Um, one be. with OJ Simpson, one one with OJ Simpson where he's lining up against a car, and they talk about all the ways the car is better, and then they uh, make some dig at the end about uh, how they cost less than OJ Simpson too, and he glares at the camera. A little, little a little weird. Um, That's a lot weird. But anyway, it's a fun game. Lots of Archie Manning running around doing crazy things, throwing a couple picks. Ole Miss builds a big lead. Worth worth your time. Anyway, so if you know. It, while they're putting this 2013 class together, whatever it was, I mean, I, you know, there, there, there was money involved. There were yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. also in, in uh, an ingenuity uh, in your recruiting tactics. That's fine. You got both. Well, let me, uh, all right, let me stop, and, let me stop and clarify real fast. The reason why I hedge on that is, is there's good mixed in with that. And what we can publicly acknowledge, and we know for a fact a compensation occurred was the Laramie Tonsil stuff. So uh, right. that is what I want to t- like publicly tag right now. Sorry, keep going. So, yeah, there, there was, uh, you know, uh, w- when you're putting that class together, and I'm sure, you know, as head coach, Hugh Freeze was uh, sculpting a system of plausible deniability, as all head coaches do to whatever degree they can. But regardless, yes. you know you're going you're gonna go all in on this class and whatever that entails. You're willing to risk uh, Laramie Tunsil accidentally admitting that he took money. Mm-hmm. Um, on live television, you're willing to risk the, 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 the downside because at a school that hadn't finished in the top uh, 10 in over 40 years, mm-hmm. in, within three, two and a half years of signing that recruiting class, or I guess almost three years of signing that recruiting class, no, no, yeah, 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 no, never mind, sorry, quick math, I, I'm, you know, whatever. Uh, within two years, three years of signing that class, you're in the top 10. Mm-hmm. That's, you would take that risk. Yes. And it backfired, and, and Hugh Freeze probably isn't going to survive. I mean, he'll probably survive this offseason, I guess, but, th- I mean, the results are going to be really hard to maintain. Very TV or, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very, very I mean, TV. they still have a good class here. 
They still have a good class that they signed in 2016, and in theory they could build around that, and if they don't get the two-year ban and the roster doesn't get picked apart, they can kind of maintain, and maybe they uh, survive, but probably not. I mean, the, you know, I think we probably know how this ends. Mm-hmm. Um, but you take that chance because you figured out how to get really close to the sun and you beat Alabama a couple times and you did all that. And this was just, this was the, the downside of it. And the bottom line really is just that in college football, I mean, it, you know, it is kind of like a drugs thing where like a marijuana thing where, you know, oh, this doesn't do me any harm. Everybody does it. I'm fine doing it. You could still get caught doing it even if you disagree with the law, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and we can we can talk about recruiting and, and how that should be and, and where athletes should or shouldn't make money, all that. Uh, they knew they were could get in trouble for this. And I think they were willing to take the risk to do it. Sure. OK. Um. And it backfired, but it. You know, it might not have it. You know, without the without Laramie Tunsil going, what? Uh, yeah, I got money. What? What are we talking about on live television? Um, the NCAA probably stops digging, and they very much survive this. That, and I also think, um, in terms of the hot takes, I can offer you today here, if you're interested in a take. Um, I believe there's a world in which Hugh Freeze is not. Well, let me say this. I don't think there is a world in which Hugh Freeze takes this job and isn't as naive as he is. And the same, I think, can be said now for the athletic director, Ross Bjork. For years, you would see this pettiness in places like Twitter where rival fans being rival fans, as they have always been and will always be, and which includes Ole Miss fans to other fan bases and other schools and other coaches, <laughs> the, the Rebels would get uh, criticism on Twitter and message boards, you know, some of it lacking any iota of truth. And they would respond to these dumb internet comments on Twitter, on social media. And, you know, to have your athletic director and your head coach engaging with people like that on a daily basis is is a red flag should have gone up a long time ago. And what I'm getting to is the famous tweet that Freeze gave about, you know, if you have any issues regarding compliance, a very bold sort of chest-beating proclamation. I can tell you as a reporter for a fact that that woke the dragon up. Yeah, that, that was impossibly stupid. Inquiries were already being made because the genesis of this investigation dates back to before Bjork and Freeze were on campus, stuff that had taken place under Houston Nutt. And when you talk about laziness and incompetency and failure of oversight and just a general sort of malaise that produces these kind of situations... That to me is Houston nut, and I'm no fan of Hugh Freeze's. I, I'm just saying, to you know, incompetency. I look at nut. Um, I don't even know how to characterize Freeze yet. But when you talk about the you know gross oversight and stuff, that, that that's Houston nut with a neon sign in my mind. Um, that's what got the NCAA to campus, along with some violations in track and women's basketball. Right. Which is, all of this stays completely commonplace at that point because these. The investigations like this happen all over the Power Five, all over the NCAA all the time. There's hundreds every year. When it kicks up is about the time that the standing head coach with the disproportionate recruiting class relative to the past 20 years at his university, who a handful of years prior was coaching at Lambeth, um, invites everyone in, sort of spits, kind of spits in the in the direction of God. and uh, And this is what happens. So... 
because terms, of course, because of course, you are doing things you don't want anybody to see because everybody is, but you don't dare people to. Exactly. Uh, that's so stupid. You never saw that at LSU. You never saw that at Georgia. You never saw that at Tennessee, Auburn, South Carolina, Alabama. I will name them all, <laughs> and that's for a reason. Um, and also places like Florida. It's not just a league thing. Florida State, Clemson, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> this is a culture that permeates. Shout out to the West Coast, USC. Um, this is a culture that, that that is a norm, and to I think freeze he, uh, flying even flying too close to the sun is a bad metaphor because I think um, it was Icarus, right? Yeah, I think Icarus was well intentioned. I think freeze just had a dispar- an insane injection. Of, of ego, you know, of, of emotional equity <laughs> that was shot into him that he thought he could beat the world. Um, it's just strange to me. It's very, I, and very I strange. do. It, it was. Um, I mean, I didn't seek this out, but I did see it on Twitter, like on uh, whatever Thursday, Friday. Um, somebody quoting Paul. Fine, well, no, I think it was Feinbaum's uh, Twitter account quoting him on his radio show, saying Hugh Freeze looked me in the eye and said he was innocent. <laughs> Shut up! Can we? Can we? Uh, this, uh, wait, I mean, I it 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 is. College football's been around for a very very long time. We don't get invited on the show anymore. I, I'm trying. To, I've, I, I've asked Spencer a couple of times if we've done anything, and I can't think of anything that we've done. I really can't. That's not a joke. Um, but we stopped getting invited on fine month. Um, Bummer. Yeah, I don't take that necessarily to be the worst thing in the world, but I just found it interesting. People have asked, like my relatives who listen to the show asked me, like, you have been on fine bomb? And I was like, I don't know why. Um, yeah, I bet he looked a lot of people in the face and said he's not cheating. Um, and there's a lot of people in college football who still believe that their school, their schools don't cheat. There's a lot of people in... The journalism community that think I either made the Bagman story up or was it all a machination of a, uh, a core group of braggadocious Ole Miss fans who for some reason would tell a fellow alumnus this for sh- shits and giggles, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't know how to educate. I mean, if, if you choose not to believe it, you choose not to believe it. I'm not really here to try and proselytize to a tree. But um, the matter at hand is that, that it really is every answer is true right now. Was it sloppy? Yes. Were they targeted over a period of time, maybe unfairly or disproportionately? Yes. But did they bring that upon themselves? Probably yes. Um, Does this happen everywhere else? Yes. But are there so many things in this case that are specific to Mississippi because of the lack of population and control and organization? Yes. Um, There are no wrong answers right now as far as this goes. Um, Let me – just to look forward for a second, I've uh, I've done – too much talk radio. We could do a whole segment on me. Just, I think I'm just going to walk away from all of the, the talk radio. Um, unless we have to do SB Nation radio. I, I have a book to sell, so I will accept the invitations that he rebuffs. Just that Get it. Um, is Freeze going to be fired? I don't, uh, I, I don't expect him to be the head coach in the long term. Um, but yeah. how they position that, um, I'm still working on. I can't, I can't comment any further as far as the nature of when or that because I'm actively working on that um but i can say that it's very telling that they came out and made the joint statement video where it looked like it i mean i i'm surprised it hasn't been photoshopped yet or farked or whatever we call it in 2017 but the thing looked like a syrian hostage video um 
poorly lit, you know, emotionless, staring straight ahead, probably saying more with your eyes than your mouth. Um, it was Ross Bjork, the AD, Hugh Freeze, the head coach, and then the Chancellor, Jeffrey Vitter, who's still very new to Ole Miss and new to the Mississippi culture. Um, they could have just had the Chancellor come on and say, hey, we cut these heads off. Uh, we're going to work on our amended response to the amended NOA, and then we're going to go to the committee uh, hat in hand and say we fire the coach, we self-imposed this, and then we're going to walk away from the whole thing. Um, they didn't do that. They're going to go to war over this. Um, that's a really interesting decision. Yeah. That's the, it's really, really interesting. They are either – I can again, here's a hot take I can provide. Ole Miss right now in the position that they put themselves in, not what they've done or what they're alleged to have done or any of that stuff, but the way that they've approached this investigation from the NCAA, their level of compliance, their seeming – uh, non-response to the fact that it's taken so long, right? Their lack of offense. Right. Topped with the fact now that they want to go to the committee, they want to try and argue these things, is either the smartest, absolutely crazy like a fox tactic that you could take, or it is it is the beginning of the end of a major, a college football program in a major conference. There is no middle ground here. And I'm not being hyperbolic. So what I'm saying is they're going to go to the committee on infractions. They're either going to have, they're either going to have the accusation of failure to monitor institutional control, or I'm sorry, institutional control being upgraded from failure to monitor. Level one violations. There's a litany of them. Um, they're either going to have those upheld and have the whole thing blown apart, or they're going to win in some sort of insane sweeping third act of a John Grisham book type manner there's no in, there's no in between here there's just not um people have asked me are they going to get more than one year um right now if the if, if the coa rules even 65 percent in favor of what's alleged yeah they're gonna get more yeah. than one year. i mean i think yeah that's the, they need to beat back some of these charges because otherwise they're gonna get a lot more than a one-year they need a, i mean they seriously need some sort of rousing like unforeseen script changing moment in defense i don't know what they have unless they're holding on to some sort of ace card um and that's what i aim to find out I what i'm fascinated hate, I about right now is that is that moment of truth they're going all in and it's not just the, it's not like they're going all in on behalf of hugh freeze who they love so no they're the, the stake of the future of the football program because bill you can speak to this better than i can you look at the numbers and again, this is where you know you can explain maybe half of it. Bud can explain maybe half of it, and then no one can out argue either of you. If you're Ole Miss and you do take the big hit, you're done for a decade. A decade, because there is there there is no analog to this. You can't well, look at Penn State. About? You can't look at USC. You can't look at any of those. You are a school. What with, are we talking about? Done for a decade? Like I mean, well, no, no. What are we talking about with big hit? Uh, I would say a two-year uh, a two-year a two-year bull ban that would allow for the roster to be gutted, and, right. and, and assuming that if they don't make an exception to the existing bylaws and it's just upperclassmen, they were allowed to transfer. But let's say it's if let's say if it's three years and there's a special ruling because it's three years, they allow sophomores, they allow redshirt freshmen. So let's say it's something in that neighborhood, or even if it's just juniors and seniors, you have a gutted roster, you have no head coach. You almost certainly have interim head coach uh, Matt Luke, offensive line coach right now, turned down a. I've talked about this, I think maybe I haven't. Uh, he, he turned down a job offer from South Carolina in the off season, and 
Um, is one of those things I didn't report on at the time other than just he, he was mentioned and he didn't take the job. But that set off a lot of alarms around college football because, at least in our neck of the woods, because it was a, a strong offer to go to a rising program in South Carolina to work with a guy in Kurt Roper who he is, like, very, very, very close with. Roper was the quarterback's coach when Luke was a was a, a young, up-and-coming assistant under David Cutcliffe during the Eli Manning years in Oxford. Um, but Luke is a alumnus. He played offensive line he uh, at Ole Miss, and then he's also um, he's from the state. His wife's from Oxford. He is, bar none, the, the one coach who comes in as the interim. And also, from what I'm told, whether you believe everything or you believe nothing, he's not really mentioned in any of it as far as what's on the paper with the notice of allocations. Um, so you're left with an offensive line coach as interim head coach. You're left with no roster. A two-year bull band that essentially decimates recruiting. Um, the fragility of Ole Miss is unique to maybe just a handful of other schools in the Power Five in that if you don't have the backbone of a lot of – you don't have coffers. You don't have rich people, right? So I've been to Oregon, and there are places in Oregon that look a lot like Mississippi, and the same thing can be said in Pennsylvania. But the difference is, is that those states have either insanely wealthy benefactors to the specific schools like Phil Knight or just the state itself is richer and more populated like Pennsylvania – than what you get in Mississippi. So if you get into a down cycle of attrition in donations, attrition in fundraising, attrition in, uh, in season ticket sales, in construction projects, it's almost impossible to like kind of grab and pull up and pull out of that nosedive. That's why I'm saying a decade. Now maybe so they, they could suffer all that and then maybe go six and five, seven years from now. But what I'm saying is in terms of competing, it, truly competing, if they can even claim to have ever done that, They'll never do it. Well, that was my next question is what do you mean? Because, I mean, I, you know, if we're talking about, like, building an elite top ten program, then, yeah, it's going to take a while. Um, it took 50 years last time. But, you know, if you – I mean, the sanctions expire. And I think, you know, in terms of the roster getting picked apart, I realize this is the SEC. Penn State didn't get picked – as picked apart as everybody expected them to. So, I mean, I don't think – I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think it would take them seven years to get back to six and six. Let's put it that way. Uh, if we're talking about elite, that's a in completely South, different in the, discussion. In the Western they would basically, the they would have to start over. They would have to start over if they make a good hire. Now, that's always the if. But okay. if they were to make a good hire, a Bill O'Brien, <laughs> um, who can kind of come in and, and just kind of uh, keep the ship from sinking entirely, then they could be back in a bowl. Uh, within a couple few years. If, okay. if you're looking for more than that, I, I mean, again, it was unlikely that even Hugh Freeze, while cheating, would get there. Um, that's a different discussion. But no, I mean, I don't think this is like, you know, they're going 1-11 for 10 years or something. I don't know if it's 1-11 for 10 years, but I do know that it's the SEC West, and I do know that it's a depth chart that even at its best, even when they did finish in the top 10 for the first time and whatever, it was still a very fragile depth chart. Ole Miss always strikes me as fragile in every sense of the word. Um, culturally, financially, talent, all of it. Um, it. It's just never really been there. They were able to shine it on by getting some above-the-marquee names for a couple years under freeze and recruiting. It, they were trying to build out the depth comparable to, not even in Alabama, but in Auburn. you know. And they really never got there. Any Ole Miss fan that you talk to about actual football will tell you that Hugh Freeze, for really, he could blame Houston Nutt for a minute, and then it became his own transgression. He never had a running back. 
He really never had a running back. But he still went seven, eight, nine, ten wins. I mean, that was they were an awesome team for two years. It's um, it's gonna be fascinating moving forward. This is not a situation where USC absorbs the blow, cleans house a little bit for Heritage Hall, and then comes back. Almost, you know, when USC regresses to the mean, the mean is actually, you know, 10 wins or 9 wins. That's not Ole Miss. That's not going to happen. So, uh, again, that's why the stakes are so high. That's why the decision is so interesting to get up there in that Syrian hostage video and have your embattled... I mean... The, the the people that I talked to in the industry said, I mean, uh, let me do the radio edit alert because this is a conversation I had, a very casual conversation I had with with a um, someone who works in athletics administration in the South. Um, so I'll give you a ten second for your kids, but they said cut his nuts off, just right there, <laughs> done. Yeah, Bjork, done. Ross Bjork didn't actually hire Hugh Freeze, but. Bjork came in right in after Freeze was hired. Freeze was hired by a panel that was led by Archie Manning. Um, it's a good hire. I mean, all, all, all things... It's an uh, interesting hire. Phil. It, was, it was a risky hire that, in terms of wins, paid off. We'll, just, we'll, we'll see how, how worth it those wins end up being. But um, Did you, by the way, uh, half of a, t- a topic change. Did you, by the way, read the Saturday Down South piece about Billy Brewer that came out, I think, this weekend? No, I've got it. I've got, because I've got two plane rides and a, and a train ride coming up. I'm, uh, I've got that bookmarked set to go in my pocket app. So, yeah, it um, was, um, I mean, I liked it. I, you know, that's another situation where I don't know the entire backstory. Um, but it was kind of interesting, you know, being, you know, being tied to John Vaught coming in, cleaning house, you know, they, you know, Steve, when Steve Sloan left the program, they, they had been just not, not, not one in 10 dismal, but four and seven every year dismal. Um, it took him about three, four years. Well, I guess what six and six, four, six and one, four, six and one out of the gates, and then it was basically kind of on, off, on, off. Went eight or nine, win three, four, five. Went eight or nine, win three, four, five. Um, and it seemed like dog. well, a yeah, dog brewer. Um, and, and it's kind of in, like I mean, uh, he got into a little NCAA trouble himself. Although this was in the late eighties, early nineties, when every SEC program was getting <laughs> into NCAA trouble. Um. But it, no, I mean, it was kind of an, it was interesting. I'm sure it was on the sympathetic side when it talks about you know how unfair it was that you know you know Ole Miss fans were uh, weren't happy with nine and three or whatever. I'm sure there was a little bit of a spin there, but it was a good read. Um, I get really tired of this dance though. Like the, the the we we need to either take an Ole Miss and almost literally give them the death penalty. Or we need to change the recruiting rules drastically as to what is and isn't allowed. Because, I mean... They're not going to do that, Bill. We've been doing this dance for 50, 60, 70 years. But it just gets old. You're only going to change the rule when you need to. And if 85, if even 85% of the the cheaters are cheating right, which they are, then there's no reason to change the rule. Um, Now... I want to put a pin in that and sort of put an asterisk next to everything that we're talking about today because how much of the immunity, um, we'll call it, we'll call it uh, um, indivi- single testimony that builds out the additional level ones against Ole Miss from student-athletes who, uh, who they and to some degree, I'm believing, their programs were granted total immunity. Mm-hmm. 
That's how the NCAA has built these amended level one uh, accusations. How much of that is involved at the end, the motivations there and the circumstances and, and what the NCAA affords people um, and maybe some of the inherent hypocrisy we'll see, that's going to that's gonna weigh heavily on how this thing shakes out. Because the difference between USC and the difference between Billy Brewer and, and the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s bill is that that didn't exist. This new immunity clause is a... Uh, it's like a weapon that you dropped in and, and it's just more powerful than anything else and it, it sort of changes the rules of the game. Um, I'm only... we got to get off this topic because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in a bad situation as a reporter. I'm only speculating here. But it just seems too weird of circumstance to have this new, these new immunity clause interviews granted to these players on opposing teams. I was able to confirm that all three of the... Student athlete A, B, and C, as they're mentioned, the amended in OA, um, are uh, are either active or or recently departed members of rival teams in the Southeastern Conference. So that wasn't around back then. Um, maybe Ole Miss has something on that. Maybe they have something on what looks to be a pretty gross conflict of interest. I don't know. You would have to think they would, or they are the dumbest group of individuals leading a university that I've ever seen. <laughs> It's one or the other. Again, crazy like a fox or just stupid. So we'll find out. Yeah, I just yeah, I just it gets old dancing the dance when you know if you really, I mean, unless you really want to just uh, keep the pie in the sky view, you you know that so most schools do this, and um, you know you shouldn't have been so sloppy. Isn't really the point here. It should be you know did did you break the rules or not? We need to either change the rules or severely severely punished uh, the ones who get caught like this. But whatever, that's right. not going to happen. Um, by the way, the 69 Alabama Ole Miss is also uh, on YouTube, a 33-32 to 32 shootout. It was a lot of fun. Nice. By the way, the Alabama fan that added me last week saying that this was the only reason that Ole Miss was able to beat Alabama, um, currently the only player that is publicly known to have been tied up in illegal compensation was Larry Tunsil, who did not play when Ole Miss <laughs> beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So um, have a good day. Thanks for listening, and roll tide. Bill, can you write about UTEP? I did. Are we gonna are we gonna go in deep on El Paso and Juarez here? Um, man, don't show all my cards. Um, where are you on your CUSA journey? Give me a palate uh, cleanser. Let's get back on brand on this podcast and talk about the uh, nether regions of Conference USA. So so far in Conference USA, we have done UAB. Uh, Charlotte and UTEP tomorrow up is Rice and then FIU and then Marshall. So we got some, we got some hotness coming up and I will at some point, like I I need to dive in this a little bit more when I I was trying to, I was trying to work ahead here and and get some of the previews set up for this week. So I didn't have as much to do while we're in meetings. Uh, But the Marshall preview, the, the scholarship math that goes into head, being head coach at Marshall when you've got the the prep, the hunting and prep thing, uh, and and you're going full in on like blue shirts and gray shirts and all these different things was kind. It, it, it's almost like um, it, it, it's almost like a high upside army. In, in that, I was gonna say that's that, everything you just said reminds me of the service academies. Yeah, except it's not. It's hunting to hunting to West Virginia. Um, except it's heaven. It's West Virginia. But it's funny putting a preview together because, you know, it's like half the people they signed aren't going to qualify or aren't going to qualify for a year. And so putting together a projected roster is a pain in the ass. Um, 
but no, that that's been uh, they the 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 math got weird last year. They had ended up uh, you know losing some players, getting a ton of players hurt, uh, and it all fell apart for them. Like drastically fell apart for them. They were horrendous last year. Uh, but now they got a couple like, four star kids who appear that they will be eligible, and they have a couple Miami transfers. And suddenly their their starting lineup looks like it's going to be as high upside as anybody in the in the conference again. Kind of kind of weird. I'm I'm really curious how far they can bounce back because they were really bad uh, last year. So what you're telling me is they did not need to hire a PR firm last year. They hired a PR firm last year. They I said that they did not need to hire a PR firm last year. The year in which in which they were trying to vie for. Um, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Conversation. Gotcha. Um, a bunch of us in the press. I don't even think they hit it. Noticed that they had actually, they had paid to um, bring on an outside public relations firm on retainer to send pitches to people like myself as to why Marshall should have been included in the in the. This was the inaugural playoff year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as to why Marshall should be included. Rakim Cato and everybody. Yeah. Um. No, they were getting screwed. They, uh, I mean, a, a PR firm is a stupid idea, no matter Very. what. But they were getting they were getting screwed around by the the committee that year because they were a really good team. And then they lost to West. By the way, Kentucky. that statement works without context. A PR firm is just a stupid idea. Yes, yes. Although, I mean, I'm, I have a book to sell, so I, I, you know, maybe that's what I should be doing. Um, so yes, you okay? So UTEP, um, hard place to win. <laughs> I, I enjoyed. I actually kind of. I took it. I took today's UTEP preview to kind of a weird place. Um, I'm ready. You know, talking about you know our our weird ass history with college football and how you know so the the first the first truly awesome New Year's Day uh, for college football was um, what, what would that have been J- January the the 1935 season January first 1936 uh, you had Catholic University beating Ole Miss 20 to 19 in the Orange Bowl. Okay. You had Stanford uh, taking on uh, tw- uh, undefeated SMU and holding them off 7 nothing in the Rose Bowl. You had Sammy Baugh and TCU taking down LSU in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, and that was a weird game. Sammy Baugh, like, made some- Sammy Baugh. screwed something up and, and committed a safety and then led them to the game-winning field goal drive. I don't know. He might have kicked it, too. This was 1936. Um, and in the fourth New Year's Day Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, New Mexico State – Pulled an upset of sorts, tying Harden Simmons fourteen to fourteen in the in the second annual Sun Bowl, the first uh, Sun Bowl that involved college teams. The year before, an El Paso All Star team had beaten a really good high school team from Fort, from near Fort Worth, the Ranger Bulldogs. Um, a million bowls have come and gone since then, but the Sun Bowl still is still kicking. And I mean, they they move. They don't play in that in the uh, El Paso High Stadium anymore, but um, at Jones Stadium. By the way, if you I, I included a link there, it looks weird as hell. I love it because um, the stadium still exists. They just don't play the Sun Bowl there. But El Paso is a college football landmark. Like it, it, if if we had those national park signs or whatever those those historical landmark signs uh, mm-hmm. for college football, there'd be a giant plaque outside of Jones Stadium. Here stands the home of the like the fifth bowl game in existence or whatever. Um, and El Paso is also home of almost always a bad football team. Uh, my other fun part that I enjoy that I that I did for this UTEP preview was uh, playing around on Google Maps and and confirming that El Paso is as close to Denver as Dallas Mm -hmm. and as close to Tijuana as Houston. You got it. 
And, and that's pretty much the end of explaining why there's a, there's a talent dirt. Yeah, that's, I mean, they, you pretty much have concept, to... That's why the concept of Friday Night Lights exists, if you're not familiar. is because for as good as Texas is at, at football and has, as much talent as it has, it is equally as bad the further west that you go. <laughs> it's just, I mean, there's just nothing there. I mean, that's... Exactly. Um, I mean, El, El Paso is an oasis in the middle of the desert, pretty much. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you get you, you're in Texas, you get none of the benefits of being in Texas, and so you have nope. to you have to do the North Dakota, Wyoming, et cetera, program building thing where you're uh, getting the local hard nosed diamond in the rough types, you're getting JUCOs, you're trying to you're just trying to craft a, together kind of a mean team that is either really good at being mean or is innovative in some way, like Bob Stoll with his with his uh, run and shoot back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Stoll then got hired away by Missouri and did not do as well. But, um, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's it. And it's a really hard recipe to follow. And uh, it kind of looked like Co- Sean Kugler had done it for a year. They won a bunch of close games, had a, uh, what's his name, A&M quarterback transfer, crap, whatever his name is, and um, did just enough offensively. They hit real hard. They won, I think they went 7-5, and five, and that was awesome. They were also lucky as hell. They got unlucky the next two years. They've won nine games since. And that's only because they're in a in a conference in Conference USA that has a really really low floor, um, mm-hmm. but they've ranked in the one twenties and and John Kugler has eighteen wins after four years and seven of those came in one year and they're projected to be four and eight again and one hundred twenty sixth out of one hundred thirty teams and I don't know what you do really to 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 build anything sustainable because even when they're good uh, they're not good the next year. You talk about PR a second ago, but like this really isn't so much related to Utah because I don't know how much more we can expound on what basically is the situation. Um, what, I mean, I know you're not really at the top end yet, and and they had a they've had some some impressively bad years, but the conference is so strange. Like we have a self created rep on our podcast of really wrapping our arms around the mid major, but tend to not like watching a lot of CUSA games, right? I mean, there are awesome, fun programs like Western Kentucky these last couple of years with Brom, but there's also just a lot of, I think, anonymity. And, and, and there's, yeah. there's so many programs that they've welcomed in for the you know marketing and television rating reasons and all that stuff that with no tradition, you know, overnight programs like Charlotte, um, it's created this really anonymous feeling group. Like... The Mountain West has a very distinct identity. I think the Sun Belt does as well, and the MAC really always has. But then you have this group of schools that have larger budgets than the Sun Belt, and then that's pretty much it. Like, I don't know what other differentiating feature you have. There are schools that can raise a little bit more revenue for whatever reason than Sun Belt schools, but they tend to even lack the... You know, the Sun Belt does a good job of just making geographic sense, you know? And setting up rivalries where they exist, having Georgia State and Georgia Southern, having ULL and ULM, having App State and Georgia Southern, having, you know, so on. Like, you can, you know, Troy and South Alabama now. It makes sense. When I look at Conference USA, I don't know, like, is it, it's it, it's a flavorless AAC, and the AAC as it exists <laughs> is not necessarily a distinct, 
It's certainly not umami. I'll put it that way. All right. Well, we, yeah, we've talked about this before. They went after markets instead of teams. So Sun Belt yeah. gets gets football programs like Appalachian State and Georgia right. Southern and Conference USA goes. Let's get San Antonio and Greater Dallas and Charlotte and Miami. Let's uh, let's court TV those, markets and let's hope that those teams end up, that those programs end up having good football teams one day. I will say, I mean, but does that work? Well, it hasn't. Yeah, that's for damn sure. But. North Texas might have made a really good hire last year. Yes, uh, U- UTSA might have made a really good hire last year. Yes. Uh, FAU and FIU, at the very least, uh, made hires that will get them a lot of attention last oh year. Bill, Bill, is the QSO the secret ACC? The, did you say AAC or ACC? ACC. You know, gonna, uh, we've harped on the, oh, on right. the coaching hires. You know. <gasps> That's yeah. that's all this is, you know. When Nobody, the Pac-12 hey. started making hi- good hires, Pac-12 got better. ACC made better hires. ACC got better. When the Sun Belt had Taggart and uh, crap, whoever those others were, a few years ago that uh, ended up going elsewhere, um, it was a better conference. All right, and real so, quick, Bill, I'm gonna need to uh, need you to take a knee. Okay, I just want to talk directly to the listeners right now. Um, we just stumbled onto something. Okay. <laughs> And Bill has his metrics and his books and his universal acclaim for being really smart. What I have is a Rolodex, all right? So if any of you listening to this program, this episode, say anything to somebody like Feldman or Staples or any of the, any anybody else in that big-timers club, I will find you and punch you in the neck, all right? Because I just realized how I'm going to get a whole bunch of people on the Godfrey team this year, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Conference USA Media Days. All right, travel really? team doesn't even know. Where, where the hell I is just that? Decided. It's in an airport. It's in an airport hotel in Dallas. And every year they invite me. Oh. And every year I don't go. Um, but I'm going this year. But I want the rest of you to shut your mouths about what is in Conference USA. All right, because let me tell you what those other highfalutin dudes that are from the from the sports sites with the initials that people actually know. They're busy, all right? They're going to probably have, like, 85 think pieces about Southern Cal, all right? They're going to probably break down high, the 35 deep Heisman contenders, all right, and be totally wrong about all of them. Daddy needs to make his money, all right? So Daddy's going to the QC Media Days. Shut your mouth until then, all right? You can be in on the joke after the fact. I'm sorry, Bill, you were saying? I mean, are we going to Dallas instead of Newport this year for... It'd be cheaper. The lobster wouldn't be as good. You know, I might trust a lobster just because Dallas has so many rich people that I figure like their lobsters fresh. True. Yeah, they'd get it. It gets shipped in nicely. Yeah. Uh, plus, Deep Ellum has a lot of good restaurants. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never been to Deep Ellum in states over. What, uh, wife and kid just did a family trip to Fort Worth for something this last weekend with with her parents. Uh, and, Fantastic and they, town. They they came across impressed with Fort Worth. So hey, we're onto something here. Fantastic time. We said, we um, said none of this. Um, so, uh, but no, I mean, so this, but this is how you get better. And and UTSA and North Texas, granted, both of them uh, benefited from the suckitude of their conference mates when it came to getting bowl eligibility in in year one. But regardless, they showed some interesting things. Middle Tennessee, until they lost their quarterback, was uh, rock solid. Um, you know, like top 50, top 55 rock solid. Western Kentucky has been good. Obviously, they have something to prove again. But, um, but, they, but you know, they were tremendous the last two years. Marshall is two years removed from being awesome. So, I mean, you, you can see a path forward here. It just doesn't, it doesn't make the Conference USA's initial 
um, expansion plan, it doesn't make it smart, but it could at it least also eventually sort lifeless. of work out. Like yeah. it, it, ma- it makes it, as someone who lives close to MTSU, I'll, look, I, it, give me an excuse not to be sitting in an airport. I'll take it. So I want I want CUSA schools like like Western and Middle Tennessee to be interesting, just so I can be a little lazier and not have to go run the travel budget. No, I'm <laughs> no, serious. You know, MTSU but, is good. I, I'm I'm looking forward to writing that preview. Actually, as funny as that sounds, because I'm going to dig into. Um, I I found myself talking to a couple people at AFCA about this. Uh, Rick Stockstill's coaching tree is pretty amazing. Yes, but guess uh, what, Bill? No one cares. That's the saddest I care, part I'm about, write about it. No, no, no. I, I know I'm you. I'm going to write about it. But no, no, no. no, no. no, I, I, but, no I, wait, I don't mean I don't mean no one cares about what you're going to write about. What I mean is, if you, when you go to Murfreesboro, Matt Brown um, at SB Nation was with me when we were working on the story about BYU because they had a non-con game there, and Matt, like I go to more games than pretty much anybody here, but like Matt was just shocked. He's like, "This is insane," because the only people at that game were the 5,500 Mormons who happened to be in this region of the United States. It is insane how disrespected a guy like Stockstill is by by his fan base. Yeah, that's what I'm saying when I talk about the the, the kind of lack of flavor in the CUSA is that when Georgia Southern and App went to the Sun Belt, they brought a lot of fans with them. When ULL goes to a, the, like the New Orleans Bowl, yeah. they sell the damn thing out because they have people who care. That's what's frustrating. The, I mean, the most famous thing in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, is like. Oh. I mean, I'm not trying to create a pregnant pause here. I just uh, it, the, highway, it's, the highway to Nashville. I mean, it's a it's a commu- it's a commuter college school. It's for a lot of people who want to be in the recording business, and like nobody goes there to to have a sort of like the provincial sense of you know uh, I, I cheer for the I cheer for my alma mater. You know that that tribalism thing just doesn't exist. Yeah, and I feel like Although, that's, that's the CUSA in a nutshell because the same thing can be said about North Texas. MTSU does have this one fan who um, harangued me nonstop uh, for when I did those power rankings at the at the right before the season started. I had them in like the nineties. It was just one of those like I you know like I've said like I just set it up as the ladder match. I, I thought I'd have them higher. I didn't. I think I had them like ninety third, ninety fourth. Um, gave me massive crap to the point where like it was funny at first. I'm like, okay, dude, you can you can yeah. stop now. Um, when they beat Missouri, uh, obviously, like, well, how's that pick going now? Like, dude, it's been seven weeks. Stop. Well, guess where they ended up? Ninety fourth. <laughs> it took uh, a quarterback. It, it took a quarterback injury to do it. But by God, I'm, I'm claiming that one. This is why Bill and I shouldn't talk more. Because if I knew about this kind of stuff, I would, yeah, I would be in breach of the company's social media policy. Because <laughs> I would just lay on little dicks like that. Um, phrasing. Bill. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I, I don't want to respond to that, but you almost made it impossible. Okay, anyway. Um, give, so now that I've completely destroyed any kind of spirit involved in the Conference USA preview, give me a reason to uh, to tune in as you get to the top of the conference. Because Western Kentucky's still going to be kind of good. Oh, yeah. Um, UTSA, I'm, uh, that's another one I'm kind of looking forward to writing because, um, yes. I mean, they, they were – they hired a recruiter who also made them their best version, uh, uh, the best version of their team ever uh, before actually re- recruiting anybody. So that's, you know, interesting, but I mean, that's, I think it's just, you're, you're trying to figure out like when, if or when conference USA moves forward, how, who's going to be dragging them forward. And so you got 
the UTSAs and the North Texases and the Old Dominions. Old Dominion was a, another team that was uh, relatively exciting last year. Part of this, by the way, we're talking about like not exciting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're kind of watching We see the wrong teams. I think that is part of it. Like Marshall collapsed so quickly. They were on TV a couple times. They should have been anywhere near television. Um, but, you know, maybe it'll be a little easier when they've got a few more interesting programs this year where you've got, you know, obviously people are going to be at least a little curious about FAU for at right. least a little while. Yeah. Didn't we? I asked last week, how long is that going to be? A right. Thing? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But you have more interesting matchups here. And, and uh, you know, we'll just, we'll see. If you get names, if you get buzz of, about, you know, coaches who are probably going to be hired by power conferences soon, that'll that'll get attention. If you beat a power conference team, that'll get attention. It, well, it doesn't work for Louisiana Tech for whatever reason. They damn near beat Arkansas last year, and they've beaten a lot of power conferences te- teams. And they've, they're about as stable as they've ever been, and nobody's noticed. So maybe that's a problem with the TV deal. But because um, they don't schedule ULM. That's right. Karma. Um, anyway, no, there's absolutely right. You know, it's just about the future. Like right now, I, I, I enjoy some of these teams writing about Charlotte was kind of hard because they've really haven't done anything yet. Right. But you know, there's a, there's a hook to writing about FIU in a couple of days. There's a hook to writing about FAU and Louisiana tech and Marshall and, and middle Tennessee. So we got some, I mean, have you done the legwork on FIU? Can I ask you questions yet? Uh, yes, I think I have. Yes. It's bad that I don't remember for sure, but yes. Well, go for it. here's the thing. Obviously, we're talking about FAU for very obvious reasons. Um, Butch. Way more interested to see what's going to happen at FIU. Definitely feel like that's um, someone who might be there longer. Definitely feel like that's someone who's a little bit more stable human being. Now, has the game passed him by? Well, I mean, it's, yeah. Right. Kinda, but that, that is going to be kind of the time, key here. I mean, what's the floor and the ceiling we're talking about here, right? I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I mean that's you know the the whole past and by thing. Like just because Butch still has a lot, you know, a, a nice hefty Rolodex with with Miami connections, he, he's also like whatever seventy years old or something. Right. Um, and at some point, you do kind of lose your grasp on the game. So does he have enough? Has he made good enough hires, et cetera? There, that's all into this. It's not just hey, he's going to recruit great. They're going to be good again. Well, it, that's part of it. But right. um, there, there's a little more to it. I will say though. Um, FIU's got about the most experienced team in the world coming back next year. They get their quarterback back, uh, basically all their running backs, uh, almost all of their receivers. Uh, let's see, lose a little bit on the offensive line, but they get whatever semblance of interesting uh, playmakers they had on defense, they're all back. So uh, he, he's not working with a blank slate here. He's working with a team that would have probably been relatively interesting even if they hadn't hired, uh, fired what's-his-name last year. When everyone rationalizes the Kiffin hire to FAU, all the bullet points that they give for FAU being the springboard job that Kiffin should get and what they can do there and the success that you can have, I just transpose all of that onto FIU. Yeah. I just think they'll be able to do the exact same stuff without any of the crazy sideshow going on. Ron Turner, by the way. That, that was what that was. what's his name. I Shouts out to Ron Turner. And this is a program, by the way, that doesn't really deserve to succeed because they still fired Mario Cristobal. <laughs> Um, oh, I think I think in the long run, Mario Cristobal is going to be just fine. I, I would assume he's done okay, uh, yeah. or and will do okay. But regardless, right. that was a stupid. They 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 seriously replaced Mario Cristobal with Ron Turner, um, and they have earned the uh, average of like three to four wins per year that they've gotten since then. But regardless, Bill, we got to do uh, homework answers real fast because I got to get out of here. I just realized. Uh, 
oh man, we've gone over an hour talking about yep. almost literally nothing. Uh, yes, and so a couple of weeks ago, so we, we kind of built this little, uh, you know, uh, off the cuff kind of style. And I think it, when you've got a good rapport, it works. And, and baby, I think we have a good rapport. Um, but we also forget that when we asked readers to do something, we didn't, or listeners to do something, we did not uh, visit the homework assignments from last week. Um, after we after we threw like 38 of them at you two weeks ago. But two weeks ago, we said, you know, give us some examples of great weekday game, weeknight game experiences, some terrible weeknight game experiences, and some other examples of petty state politics in our college football. Uh, I got some answers. I think we both did, but uh, I know I did. Uh, let's see. First things first, and we won't respond. I got a lot to go uh, to get through, and and so we won't respond much. Plus, the emails are long. Um, Arden McCormick, our friend Arden. Uh, first of all, love the show, uh, and don't dock me for this, but my boyfriend and I have always referred to it as Pappin, so I'll just apologize for that up front. Ah! This is, by the way, a female listener. We have, we we have at least one female listener that we aren't married to. Um, Heather, I know Heather. Shout out to Heather. She listens. Video game buddy. That's right. So that's that's two. Okay. So that's two. <laughs> All right. Um, as soon as you solicited your loyal listeners for awesome weeknight game stories, I had to share one of my favorite, most favorite experiences thus far in my young fandom. I graduated from Baylor in 2015, finishing up my master's at TCU this spring. Wow. Salty. Uh, one of my closest friends from college is a native Fort Worthian. Fort Worth, great town. Uh, grew up a TCU fan, but is a bear at heart. After we graduated, she took a year off before grad school, but she was in and out of the Fort Worth area during the 2015 season. Out of our small circle of close friends, we are by far the most diehard sports fans. Uh, both closely follow the national college football spectrum each season, and conveniently enough, now both cheer for Baylor and occasionally for TCU. Weird. After graduation, Fair, we yeah, that's, that's odd. Made a plan to try to make it to at least one Baylor away game per season in addition to our home slate. As we started looking at our schedule, we realized that Baylor at K-State on Thursday, November 5th might be our best option. I was lucky enough that semester to only have on-campus responsibilities Monday through Wednesday, so it seemed perfect. We then realized that TC was playing at Oklahoma State on Saturday the 7th, so we decided to make it a doubleheader weekend. We drove from Fort Worth to Manhattan all day Thursday to watch our then-sixth-ranked Bears, led by Jarrett Stidham, in his first start against the Wildcats, oh, I remember this game, against the Wildcats mm-hmm. following Seth R- uh, Russell's first season in an injury. Uh, we were on the front row of the end zone uh, behind where Corey Coleman made his ridiculous over-the-defender's helmet touchdown grab in the third quarter. I'll never forget watching that catch in utter disbelief and euphoria. Uh, that was my first out-of-state Baylor away game. Uh, I don't think they have very many. And I'm so glad we made the trip up there for an enjoyable and competitive Thursday night game. We thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. We spent our Friday night bumming around Wichita and headed for Stillwater Saturday morning uh, for number five TCU at number 12 Oklahoma State. Forgot all those teams were pretty good recently. Um, another unforgettable experience for different reasons. Watching Trevon Boykin throw four picks was one thing. Getting to witness the atmosphere in Stillwater firsthand gave me newfound respect for teams who can win on the road there. Uh, the sound of those paddles on TV is nothing like it is in person. Hey, I, I, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, needless to say, by the time we got back to Fort Worth Saturday night, we were exhausted. Our college football loving hearts had never been more full. Uh, if any other PAP listener has ever considered doing two games in less than 48 hours, I can't re- recommend it highly enough. Just try to allow yourself a day to recover if you can. I know y'all were really only asking for weeknight game stories, but I had to throw it in there. And, and uh, okay, so yeah, that I, I, being that I never read emails in advance, I had to, okay, so anyway, <laughs> good, awesome. Um, uh, that was a good weekday game, and now that's we've got about a straight, yeah, that, that's kind of, the, that's as strong as you and can do. And by the way, the, 
That I did the the UCLA USC combo for that piece in 2015, where it was UCLA on Thursday night and, and USC on Saturday. That was that was lovely, and and the game in the day in between is nice. Uh, our friend Chris Barnwall, who has emailed us before, I believe, said as a recent graduate of UCF. I have many good experiences with good old-fashioned weekday football. My favorite experience has to be the double OT victory over BYU in 2014. Uh, the game was at one point so horrendous that my roommate, who was my ride, turned to me and asked and said that if UCF gave up another score, we were going to have to leave. He always made me leave games early, and this made me super sad, but I accepted it. Uh, the game was on ESPN and taking way too long. Um, UCF proceeded to pull off a huge comeback and win in double overtime. The worst one is obvious, the time we lost to a freaking airport. Uh, shout out to Matt, Matt Brown to set the tone for an 0-12 season. Wow. Um, oh, right. Um, While Bill looks, I'd like to ask came, why none of you emailed me this stuff, but continue. Yeah, well, hey, you're on a couple of these. I, I'm just saying you, don't, you, don't, you do a worse job of keeping up with email than I do. Uh, our friend Chris says, Dear Pappin, uh, name, subject line, name change, refusal. As a Navy fan, I refuse to call our rivals Army West Point. Uh, you know, we were talking about the, the, the name changes and all that. The Black Knights are USMA, US, United States Military Academy. Uh-huh. Uh, my team is Navy. Air Force is Air Force. Air Force, who do you think you are? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I like that one. Let's see. Let's. Uh, oh, and then I'll end with this one. Uh, this was we got a lot more than this, but um, four is good in a short amount of time. Thoughts on the LSU ULL relationship from the inside? Our friend Rich. Oh boy. Five minute discussion on the LSU ULL naming politics. That is my jam. Backstory <laughs> from Louisiana. Went to LSU. Parents are ULL, then USL, alums who met and married there. Moms from Lafayette. Needless to say, LSU and ULL alumni are 1 and 1A in my family and social circles. I think the issue boils down to the familiarity breeds contempt. Unlike ULM or Louisiana Tech, ULL, which he continuously says this, I get nervous every time I read it out loud because I've gotten yelled at so many times for for putting the letters ULL together. ULL sits 50 miles west of Baton Rouge on a straight shot of I-10. Meanwhile, ULM and Louisiana Tech sit hundreds of miles away along the Arkansas border, essentially. Hell, you have to drive through Mississippi for a stretch to get from Baton Rouge to Monroe, the horror. Not necessarily. There's there's three different ways to drive it, but yeah, that's just typical South Louisiana elitism. Continue. This leads Tech and ULM to be, from the Baton Rouge perspective, on an island. ULL, on the other hand, is stuck on the LSU island. This leads to ULL being, God, I get nervous every time I say it, being much more present in the eyes and activities of the Baton Rouge folks. Meanwhile, yeah, Tiger, yeah, that's Stadium, all true. Meanwhile Tiger Stadium can feel like the eye of Sauron uh, to the people across. Well, if you're driving east on I-10 from Lafayette, it kind of looks like the eye of Sauron. Uh, to the people across the at Atchafalaya Basin. Uh, Say it again. Do it again. Do it again. Atchafalaya. One more time. Atchafalaya. Whatever. To the folks uh, in Lafayette, they see Atchafalaya. Great. It's Atchafalaya. Now I'm laughing as I say it. Atchafalaya. Atchafalaya. New segment on the show next week. Bill pronounces things. That's like Missouri pronunciation. That's well. I've lived in Missouri for years. Atchafalaya. Now the way I'm saying it would actually be criticized. If you're south of Alexandria, thereabouts, um, they okay. are, they're going to hit it in a different way that I really can't even replicate because my true Kunas accent is a little weird. But I should get my mother-in-law in here as a pronunciation guy. Here in Missouri, <laughs> we pronounce here in Missouri we pronounce uh, Versailles, Versailles. Uh, to the folks well, in Lafayette, they see too. themselves as a 
great town with great culture and a more platonic ideal of a college town than Baton Rouge. And they're probably right, he says. I did not say that. He said it. Uh, LSU folks see Baton Rouge and LSU as the nexus of the state and the flagship for all corners and all people, whether they like it or not. The naming thing plays out in all... We get such long emails. It's awesome. Uh, The naming thing plays out in all sorts of wondrous ways. Uh, Find the main entrance to ULL's campus and you'll see Louisiana in huge letters with Lafayette in barely readable font. Right, yeah. Ask a ULL fan about the school in Baton Rouge and they'll be happy to use its full name, Louisiana State University and A&M College. (laughs) (sighs) All in all, the two can live in harmony as long as they are not in direct conflict. When I was an undergrad one year around 1999, ULL and LSU both made the College World Series on opposite sides of the bracket, and it was awesome. One night LSU was playing and we had watching parties. The next night ULL was on and we adopted them as our own. Great times. About five years later, the two met in a baseball regional, and the blood was so bad that the regular season series had to be put on hold. This is true. Anyway, there will always be some friction between the two schools until either ULL moves to Boss uh, to to Bosher, 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 right? Which is which is Shreveport, Bosher City. Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I I was halfway through pronouncing it when I realized, oh, I know that one. Yeah. Uh, until ULL moves to Bossier or LSU starts thinking of itself as Michigan or Cal does apart and apart from the state in which it resides. Damn. I kind of feel like it already does. I'd put money on ULL moving first. Um, anyway, great podcast, both this week's and in general, keep it up. Blah, blah, blah. I agree with everything he said, except the slander against North Louisiana, which is a fine place. And by the way, tech and ULM are closer to Arkansas than ULL and LSU, but they're not on the border. That's he just, said, if, it's he so said essentially, essentially, they might. Well, have I mean, yeah, in matters of perspective, again, from that from that part of the state, it may feel like that, but it's definitely not. As someone who's had to drive from, I covered a Arkansas game when they played at Memorial in Little Rock, and then my wife and kid were in Monroe with her, her relatives, and I drove from Little Rock to Monroe. It is not on the Arkansas border. I wish it was that night. I wished it was. Trust me. Arkansas has basically ruined Louisiana for me because. There is no way to go from north to south in Arkansas. No way to go so from north we to south to Louisiana Shreve- either. Well, when we went to uh, in, t- in 2003, we drove down to Shreveport for the Independence Bowl. Um, we had to go from like St. Louis down past Jer- Jonesboro, then through Little. Like we had to basically right. make a Z. And right, that's right. so stupid because you, but it, the, the alternative is going like 35 miles per hour on switchback roads. Uh, from there are a couple, I know there's a couple of hog fans that listen. I think they, I think there's a, there's a new way to do that. Not that we want to really dwindle down our already niche listenership, but I'm in, in, and do uh, interstate oh, routes in the mid South. But like, I'm pretty sure there's something now where you can do that. Um, all right, Bill, I got to go do journalism things. Important capital J journalism. All right. Sure. Sure. Uh, so as always, we thank you for your time. You can follow Mr. Bill Connolly on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C. Myself on Twitter and Instagram at 38Godfrey. Uh, be sure to subscribe and review SoundClouds, iTunes, Stitcher. I think we're on Google Play now. Check. If not, at me, and I'll do probably nothing about it. Uh, wherever fine podcasts are sold in your city, Bill, I'll see you in New York City. And if you're listening, I'll talk to you next Thursday. Wow, that was, that was very radio-ish there at the end. You want to do this again next week? Okay.